Hi, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this broadcast of In the Market with Janet Parshall. And it is my heartfelt hope that you will find something that will encourage, equip, edify, and get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you start to listen, let me just take a few moments of your time to tell you about this month's truth tool. It's called Body of Proof, the seven best reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and why it matters today. You know, it's Easter in the month of March, and it's a wonderful opportunity to tell people that it's a whole lot more than bunny rabbits and Easter baskets, that in fact, death has been conquered, that the grave can no longer declare victory, and the sting of death has been forever removed because of what Christ did for us. It is the most significant event in the Christian faith, and yet at the same time, it's often the most misunderstood. So we need to be able to offer the reasons, both archaeologically and historically and scripturally for the authenticity of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. You and I are called to contend, and Easter and Christmas afford us wonderful opportunities to engage the culture to do just that in a winsome way. We are a listener-supported radio program, and we depend on the prayers and the financial gifts of people just like you. So if you'd like a copy of Body of Proof, a perfect book for the Easter season, just call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go online to in the market with janetpartial.org scroll to the bottom of the page there's the cover of the book click on through with your donation body of proof 877 janet 58 877 janet 58 or in the market with janetpartial.org scroll to the bottom of the page click on through and there's the book. If you want to be a partial partner, that's someone who gives every single month at a level of your own choosing, you can do that on the website as well. You'll also get a copy every month of the truth tool that we offer. So in the market with janetpartial.org or 877-JANET-58. Thanks so much for allowing me to take a couple of moments of your time. And now please enjoy the broadcast. Hi, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. It's Heart to Heart Friday, where Craig and I share some of the stories making headlines this week, and then we'll offer our insight and analysis. If you'd like to join in the conversation on what we're talking about, please call 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Now let's take a quick look back at some of the other topics we discussed this week. Enlightenment, to quote an atheist, by the way, um, uh, an atheist philosopher from Italy, um, he said the Enlightenment was not new; it was just late. Um, <laughs> uh, and that he also he also pointed. We also see that this um, the, the Enlightenment not only borrowed from Christian ideals about equality, but the chief uh, the chief Enlightenment thinkers who were the chief thinkers about uh, abolition were in fact Christian. Enlightenment thinkers. So we often think of the Enlightenment as this uniformly sort of anti-God, anti-religion thing, when the reality was some of the best Enlightenment thinkers ever were actually Christians in the middle of that era. The Christian uh, nationalism is turning into a a movement that basically says if you embrace the biblical values, then you are by just definition of what you believe, a Christian nationalist, and you are a threat to democracy, and therefore we as a government, as a society, have a right to go after you and either criminalize you or silence you or whatever it may be. That is what this movement is moving towards, and it's very frightening that that we in America are watching this unfold before us, but now is the time for people to wake up and engage it. We talked about when, when things are wrong, my bride of 48 years, 
I, I get frustrated. I get I get troubled. I, I, I kind of negative words start bubbling up. Stop. They come straight from hell. Stop there and say, God, give me more faith. Give me more love to be able to not say those those words, those evil words and those those hateful words that are bubbling up and, and guide me to have more love and have more faith. And, and we talk about that as the number one immediate reflexive response in spiritual warfare is stop and pray for more faith and pray for more love. And it's that love and it's that faith that empowers us and guides us. These beliefs that we have as Christian beliefs, they cohere, they make sense of the world that we're in far better than a view that says, oh, we're just a total random accident. Really? Why is there so much beauty in the world? And why do I love mm-hmm. listening to Rachmaninoff so much? And why do people wait in very long lines to look at Van Gogh paintings? Um, there's something about beauty that makes me think it's more likely that we live in a created world by a creative God who loves beauty and diversity and color and, and a bazillion different varieties of flowers. Based on just what we know of the industry, most parents going through IVF are not planning to have that many children by any means. So we're practicing IVF in such a way that we're creating this massive problem um, of what to do with the extra embryos. Um, And frankly, the fact that we have so many embryos perpetually frozen in storage, which can cost hundreds of dollars a month, tells me that even if the parents aren't explicitly pro-life, that there is some part of them that recognizes that those embryos are their children and that they're uncomfortable destroying them. Um, And they just frankly don't know what to do. So those sorts of policies can actually help curtail the problem going forward so we're not just perpetuating this disaster. It's Heart to Heart Friday. Here are some of the other stories making headlines this week. Uniper expects to see a big fall in profit this year. The German utility on Wednesday blamed lower wholesale energy prices for the outlook. Meta Platforms has said it will stop paying Australian news outlets for content that appears on Facebook. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq finished at record closing highs Thursday. It's Heart to Heart Friday on In the Market with Janet Parshall. Craig and I have lots to share and we'll put the first story on the table when we return. To join the conversation on the topics we're discussing, call 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Culture tries to convince us there's nothing special about Jesus. Add to this the failure of many Christians to understand the profundity of Christ's death and resurrection and you have a powerless Christianity. That's why I've chosen Body of Proof as this month's truth tool. Learn why Jesus' victory over death changes everything. Ask for your copy of Body of Proof when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Happy Friday to you, my friends, and welcome to today's edition of In the Market with Janet Partial. As always, my husband, Craig Partial, has joined me. And what we typically do is take a look at some of the stories making headlines, but we look at them in a different way. We look at them through the lens of Scripture. 
which amazingly offers such profound clarity. And I'm going to get into our first topic, which probably will take up most of this hour in just a moment. But I want to underscore, it is the first day of a brand new month. Now, I'm of a certain age where when we were in school, our teacher would have us make kites, remember, for the month of March, and it would decorate our elementary school room. And then we'd always be challenged to look and say, did March come in like a lion or did it come in like a lamb? And whatever it came in as... Generally, it came out as the markedly different. Well, here in the Mid-Atlantic, in the D.C. area, it came in like a lamb. So does that mean that we're going to go out like a lion? I don't know. But I do know that the Lion of Judah controls the weather, and I thank him so much for the change of seasons. And I do want to talk about the Lion of Judah, one of the interesting names that is given to God himself. But I want to start with just a couple of the straight sticks of truth that we will use to measure the crookedness of the idea we're going to engage in this hour. And let me go back to Paul's letter to the church at Rome. You know, it's chillingly apropos for the 21st century. And I look at what's happening in the United States of America, and I'm thinking we are making Rome pale in comparison, in some of the deviant things that we are subscribing to. Yes, we're doing what's right in our own eyes. Yes, good is being called evil. Evil is being called good. But Rome now is nothing but a series of dusty stones. Whether you go as far as the north of England or all the way to northern Africa, the Roman Empire is no more. It collapsed. It collapsed for a myriad of reasons, not the least of which because it was polytheistic, because it was paganistic, because it was licentious. And in Cal Thomas's excellent book, America's Expiration Date, he talks about several empires that are now on the ash heap of, his, of history. And he says the average life of an empire is about 250 years. So if you look at America, we're just shy of 250 years. So I think we'd better be paying attention. But Paul said this in his letter. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So it's a juxtaposition of affections. Rather than worshiping God, the creator of all things, they worshiped the created. And we are certainly seeing that in our country today. So we're going to take up the subject of animal eating. And if you choose to be a vegetarian, God bless you. That is a choice that you have the liberty to make, right? Paul talks about that liberty. And the question in all of our liberties, you have the liberty, but is it profitable? Don't ever forget the second part of that question. So you have the liberty to say, I'm not going to eat meat because I choose to for fill in the blank, following reasons, health reasons, ethical reasons, whatever. You have that liberty. Others among us, uh, have the liberty, likewise, to have a diet that includes meat. It is not a point over which believers should disfellowship. And it can be more of a conversation about diet and how our body processes food, etc. But when that question about being a vegan starts to intersect with the scriptures and a convoluted, twisted, adulterated gospel emanates as a result of that question, then that should catch our attention as good Bereans. So we're going to talk about this because there is a documentary that's about to be released that is going to call into account what the scriptures teach us. And again, being good Bereans, testing all things. And remember in the book of Acts, the Bereans weren't testing the paganistic ideas of the day in, in Rome. They were checking what Paul had to say. So when someone purports to be a follower of Christ and they say something that's out of whack from the straight stick of truth, we need to examine it. We need to expose it. 
if it's evil. So let me tell you first, last, and always that this program is about adhering to Scripture, making no apologies that the Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And so we're going to use that metric, that straight stick of truth, as Dwight L. Moody called the Word of God, on this question about Jesus and whether or not he was a vegetarian. So let me say first, thank you to a very special listener who brought this documentary to my attention. A woman, by the way, who espouses herself that she is a vegan, but after seeing where this movement is going, it's giving her pause and something to think about. So you know who you are, friend. It caused me to do a very deep dive into this topic, and it's resulting in today's conversation. So let me start first by having you listen to a trailer coming out on a new movie that is going to be released in some theaters Uh, The directors, at least, want this to be global. They're crowdsourcing it. They're trying to get funds raised to get the money to be able to have a wider distribution. And I'll tell you more about the film in a minute. But just start first by listening to the trailer, the name of the documentary. And I put that in quotes because it's very much of an opinion of the two gentlemen that made this film. This is called Christspiracy. Have a listen. Is there any danger making a film like this? Yeah, you just wait and see. You just wait and see. The temple is a kind of a bank, really. The money that is flowing into that place is beyond belief. Everyone in the Western world's entire life is affected by the church. We're talking about some of the most powerful, profitable industries on the planet. This industry operates on the base of guns, political support, media support, manipulated with money, backed by religious feelings. It's a conspiracy of silence. Nobody talks about it, nobody shows it. When I'm thinking, I'm not thinking what to say, but what not to say. Yeah. Animals are the first form of money. Live. Stock. The buying and selling of sacrificial animals was what sustained the temple. It looks like the government's working in collusion with the temple committee. It's a mafia. Yeah, we have to blur out this guy's face or help him, otherwise they're going to kill him. He was crucified for disrupting the culture of the time. Many scriptures have been really tampered with. The truth is that the temple at the time of Jesus was a mass slaughterhouse. How would Jesus kill an animal? That I have no idea. Him saying, I can kill this animal, or oh, let's do that again. Uh, that's not good. It's easier to cover up the truth than to talk about it. If your films affect people's beliefs, that will make you a threat in their eyes, and industry will move to neutralize the threat. When going against mainstream beliefs, especially religious beliefs, you can expect to be threatened. You only have to look at the incidents of the cleansing of the temple. He drove them out of the temple, had a feet and all. It was that act that precipitated his trial and his execution. Do they want us activists to be crucified? You have no idea the far-reaching power of the church. They will stop at nothing to keep this truth from getting out. I think we need to wrap things up. Again, the film is called Crispiracy or Christspiracy, and I'm going to read from their Instagram page. A Southern Baptist gospel musician and a non-religious quasi-spiritual documentarian make a film. And it wasn't by accident. Kip Anderson, the co-creator of Christspiracy, came from a non-religious home with an ex-Mormon father. Through co-creating blockbuster Netflix films like Seaspiracy, Cowspiracy, and What the 
Health, H-E-A-L-T-H. He was further drawn to yoga practice and the Buddhist principles of, quote, kindness to animals, end quote, which opened his mind to the tie of ethics and spirituality. And then there's Cameron Waters, born in the Bible Belt in Georgia to a family of gospel music and ministry. Cam's relationship to food and faith were intertwined from the day he was born. As a teenager, he was involved in a Christian hunting and fishing club. Whatever was served at the church banquet, he ate. The church barbecue, he ate. His commitment to ministry led to a career as a gospel musician with songs on Sony Records. But it wasn't until he started reassessing how the church's interpretation of Scripture. Let me read that again. But it wasn't until he started reassessing how his church's interpretation of Scripture had convinced him that hunting and eating animals was okay that he started to question how would Jesus kill an animal. Fast forward, Kim and Cam met at a cowspiracy Q&A in 2018, became mutually obsessed with the question, is there a spiritual way to kill an animal? And the rest is history. Christspiracy was born, and then they're asking for support, and they're alleging it's going to come to theater sometime this year in 2024. And they end by saying, discover the secret relationship between religion and the animal agriculture industry. And then they provide a link to be able to do it. Now, I've got tons of other facts and figures and articles I want to fold into this conversation. But Craig, let's just start about this first. So obviously, um, and you're hearing the music, so let me just put this out and we'll come back and pick it up. Obviously, given the other films that have been made, this idea about seaspiracy and cowspiracy, obviously they're animal activists. So I think you have to understand where their worldview is. And again, they're they're free to do that. But the minute you start stepping into the scriptures and misrepresenting it to advance your particular political cause, that's when we need to be Berean. So again, the movie is called Christspiracy. We're going to take a look at what the scriptures have to say about whether or not Jesus was a vegetarian. And if the question, how would Jesus kill an animal, is in fact answered. More on this hour's edition of In the Market with Janet Parshall right after this. So I'm really not interested in giving free publicity to a documentary that, you know, may show on less than a thousand screens across the country. So I am interested, however, in taking the more transcendent approach to this conversation, which is what does the Bible say on this subject about was Jesus a vegetarian and answering this question about is there a spiritual way to kill an animal? So again, if you look at the uh, promotion for the film, it's called Christspiracy, the biggest cover-up in 2,000 years. And if you look at the way they summarize it, two daring filmmakers embark on a global quest sparked by the not-so-simple question, is there a spiritual way to kill an animal, and along the way discover the biggest cover-up in the last 2,000 years. Hang on to those numbers, by the way. For five years, the filmmakers traveled around the world, hopping from Rome to Jerusalem, Oxford to India, interviewing everyone from renowned theologians and archaeologists to Christian farmers and indigenous shamans, all to reveal a massive cover-up, one that will transform history forever. 
from the co-creator of the hit Netflix documentary, Seaspiracy, Cowspiracy, and What the Health, and I want to make sure you're hearing what I'm saying and what I'm not saying, H-E-A-L-T-H. Christspiracy is a fascinating investigation that will change the way you think about faith, ethics, and our relationship with creation. That's a biblical issue. That's why we're stepping into this conversation. Craig, your reaction so far? Error. When somebody wants to talk about religion, that's one thing, or comparative religion. But when you start talking about what the Bible and what Christianity means vis-a-vis animal sacrifices and your attitude toward veganism and so forth, you'd better know the word. Clearly they don't, or they know it and they intentionally want to distort it. I default to the first possibility because I, the ignorant, the rampant ignorance and misrepresentation is obvious. Um, so you can either do one of two things. If you want to talk about any issue, and here it happens to be, you know, uh, killing of animals, uh, veganism, respect for animal life and so forth. That's the issue. You can either start with what you want to believe about it and then try to cram and form fit the Bible and Christianity into your view. Or you start with the Bible with a high respect for the context and language of it and those who have interpreted and then compare it to what you thought your belief should be and adjust your beliefs about social and political issues and cultural issues accordingly. They've obviously done the first thing. They started with presuppositions about animal killing being wrong and therefore force-fitted that yes. into right. a misinterpretation right. of Scripture. They started if, with in the fact, con- they even read the Bible and well, you really question about that. And, and in full disclosure, I've not seen the documentary. I don't need to. I've listened to a series of interviews they've done with podcasters. There's an extrapolated one on a site called Plant-Based News that will give you, again, a strong indicator what their particular worldview is. But uh, it's it's torturous eisegesis. They're infusing into Scripture that which is not there, and they're not practicing good exegesis, which is where the Word speaks for itself. So let me start with a question, because they're enamored with the idea that somehow they think this is the pithy question of all questions. Is there a spiritual way to kill an animal? So let me pull out kill an animal. Is there a spiritual way to drive a car? Is there a spiritual way to do your homework? I I know they think it's a gotcha kind of question. Here's uh, what I think Jesus would say. In fact, one of the filmmakers was at some sort of gathering and asked the question, let me put it another way. How would Jesus kill an animal? Here's how he would do it. He would say, thank you, Father, for this food. Your response. Well, we know they prayed at the Last Supper. Um, The Last Supper basically was the New Testament in the body of Christ being in front of his disciples, exemplifying the transition between the blood sacrifices and the Passover meal of the Old Testament, which was simply looking forward to that moment in the upper room with Jesus ready to shed his blood as the perfect spotless lamb, only God's blood could ever cleanse us. No man's blood or our animal's blood could possibly achieve that. So the animal sacrifices, the Old Testament, very important. But it wasn't a solution. It was a forecasting of and preparation for the final perfect lamb, which was God's son, forgiving us with only his blood as the efficacy of doing that. So we remember that Jesus fulfilled the law. That's right. He fulfilled the law. It's one of the reasons why he is called the unblemished lamb of God 
that takes away the sins of the world. The Bible also says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. And by the way, with all due respect, let me tell you how awful they are right out of the gate. They talk about this as being a conspiracy, uh, the biggest cover-up in 2,000 years. Actually, if you really were going to be accurate and you were trying to make an argument, you would have to say it was the bigger, biggest cover-up in over 3,000 years because animal sacrifice didn't start in the New Testament. It started in the Old Testament. Yeah. And you've got the story of two brothers who build altars. One is in obedience to God and has meat on the altar. One is in outright right. disobedience an and has vegetables. Point. Yeah, and that, well, it's so integral to Christianity, which embraces both the Old and New Testament as not contradictory but complementary. You start just in Genesis. After the sinning of Abraham, uh, excuse me, of Adam and Eve, what happens? God provides animal skins to them, obviously requiring the sacrifice of an animal to exactly. clothe them, meaning you've, something now has changed in the human race. In its DNA, in the moral DNA of the humanity, it is now the sin nature of man and woman. And from thence on, Abel, his son, Adam's son, gives up a a animal sacrifice and God says that's good he refuses the vegan sacrifice and that's not good and the rest is history (laughs) and the rest is history (laughs) how could you miss that point when we come back we're going to continue again a heartfelt thanks to a very precious listener who put me on to this documentary which caused me to do a deep dive into what the word has to say not what a documentarian wants to advance but what the word says back after this Going through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other is essential for each of us on our walk with Christ. And that's what we do on In the Market. We examine culture, interpret the headlines, and look at the news from a biblical perspective. When you become a partial partner, you're directly responsible for putting this program on the air, reaching men and women across America with the practical application of God's Word. Become a partial partner today by calling 877-JANET58 or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall. Craig Parshall is with me. And again, because of a very thoughtful listener, I was directed to a documentary that's going to be released by one man who is deconstructing his faith and no longer really believes in the biblical interpretation of Scripture, but rather is superimposing his political worldview on Scripture in a very torturous fashion. So he and his co-directing partner have put out a film called Christ Spiracy, which really they think is going to cause one to do a deep dive into the spiritual and ethical aspects of uh, eating animals. Now, by the way, let me just make this declarative statement one more time. If you want to be a vegetarian, that's between you and the Lord. He gave you that body. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How you want to care for it is uh, your personal stewardship. And my belief is that in long, thoughtful, prayerful conversations with the Lord, you have led to determine what it is you're going to put into your body. But if your brother across the street decides to eat meat, and you don't, that's not a reason for disfellowship. And if it is, that's bad Bible. Then you really have misunderstood uh, what the scriptures have to say on this particular topic. Number two, let me draw the distinction between animal rights and animal welfare. Animal welfare means taking good care of your animals. It's the mud season right now. All farmers know that you have in early spring mud farms where because of the rains, your fields get muddy, which means your animals get muddy, which means the possibility of their tripping and breaking a leg. 
or getting stuck or getting hurt is heightened. So being people who wake up every morning with a morass of animals on their property, from horses to dogs to sheep to donkeys, uh, we care passionately about our animals because the book of Proverbs says, a righteous man attendeth his animals. That's different than believing that in God's hierarchy of creation, that there is a moral equivalency between a snail, a dog, and a boy, which is what Ingrid Newkirk, the founder of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, believes. She fails to recognize the concept of human exceptionalism, that in all of creation, the only part made in God's image was you and me, mankind. When God chose to leave the splendor of his throne room and came to earth, he didn't come as a turtle or a snail. He came as a man. And he did so so he could connect with other human beings because he's not willing that any should perish. So if we fail to understand the hierarchy of God's economy, that we care for and tend our animals, and that, yes, are there changes that could be taken place inside some of the uh, animal production for our food line? Absolutely. I'm with Temple Grandin. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are humane ways to be able to deal with animal agriculture because those animals were provided to us for our food. You can choose to partake or not, but in the meantime, yes, I think we could do things to make better care of the way in which we handle our animals that are produced for our consumption. But I part companies with people for the ethical treatment of animals who will show up at parades with signs that say no speciesism, no transphobia, no xenophobia, all our oppression, people for the ethical treatment of animals. They also, by the way, are ardent supporters of this new documentary. And they say uh, Christspiracy is what compassionate people of faith have longed for. Well, this fits right into their propaganda, this particular worldview, that you will look at the issue of religion and think that somehow it has fomented the right to treat animals poorly. And what, again, in a very sloppy fashion, these uh, documentarians seem to be doing is to try to go back to the temple sacrifice, which they wrongly identify as being 2,000 years ago when it preceded that by over 1,000 years, that somehow this was a big business, that somehow uh, the Jesus overturning the temple, uh, the money changers at the temple, is what precipitated, you heard one of the clips in the documentary say, that precipitated Christ's crucifixion. Uh, No, that's not why he went to the cross. And that is, again, a grotesque misunderstanding of what the scriptures have to say. But uh, when People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals puts out their propaganda sheet on this, they're hoping that people of religions, notice the plural, will somehow reconsider. So when the filmmakers made this, by the way, they talked to Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, and Christians, but in the name of, of one, in the words of one of the documentarians, specifically Jesus is exactly what he said. So I'm not here to give a defense or an explanation of any way in which any of those other false religions decide to treat animals. The burden of proof is on their shoulders, not ours. But as Christians, I want to know whether or not the scriptures give an answer to the question, was Jesus a vegan? And quote, and I know the documentarian is so proud of this question, how would Jesus kill an animal? I, I, it's a snarky and vacuous question, to be perfectly honest with you. Go ahead. Well, you know, when you debate issues, analyze issues about uh, Christianity, uh, inserting the word Jesus into a nonsensical sense- mm-hmm. sentence doesn't mm-hmm. make the sentence mean something. It's nonsensical. What is sensical is that if you know anything about the sweep of uh, Scripture on the issue of animal sacrifice, and then Jesus says, 
replacement for that as the one and only source of redemption. In fact, in the words of uh, the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 1, 19, and he walked, talked, lived, ate bread with, and watched the sacrifice of and the resurrection of uh, Jesus. He said uh, in uh, chapter 1, verse 19 of his epistle, his first epistle, he said, we are saved by the blood of Christ as if a lamb without blemish. Could it be more clear Mm -hmm. that the act that Jesus did simply did the final act, the real act of the play, that everything else was a prelude to in terms of uh, uh, Old Testament uh, sacrifice? But the point is, what point do you, where is your starting point in your analysis? Do you begin with veganism and then criticize Christianity? Or do you look at Christianity and say, does it make a logical, yeah. cohesive argument I'm, for the fact that blood sacrifice was not, not only not forbidden, a blood sacrifice of animals was required not to save? Because if you believe that, and by the way, if you believe that you have to be a vegan, you are just as wrong as all of the Pharisees that believed that acts of contrition, and acts of sacrifice, and acts of good deeds was were going to save them. The whole book of Romans addresses that fallacy. Yeah. So if you believe you have to be a vegan to please God, you're wrong. You need to understand the fundamentals. Let me underscore the insight that you just shared with us, Greg, and that is, again, Hear what we're saying. We're drawing a distinction of what you choose to put in your body. If you want to only be a vegan, however you want to define that, you have the liberty to be able to do that. But if you're going to superimpose backwards onto Scripture a mandate that somehow we need to be vegetarians, there is no biblical proof of that. That's the mantle of law exactly. put right back on your shoulders. So let me go to people for the ethical treatment of animals again. They love to get into religion, particularly Christianity. In fact, they have a whole thing called pita lambs. Well, and... Let this, quick question. Why do you think that is? What, why, why is Christianity in particular? Right. Right. Because I think they understand the church has a position on this based on It's scripture. also why this documentary was made, because if you can get the Christians to rethink this, the Christians right. will join the animal rights movement, right? Absolutely. And because they know that the scriptures are saturated with animal sacrifice as an atonement for sin, Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice for the atonement of sin. This is a spiritual battle at its core, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I get excited about battles like this. It's, it walks across the stage of life dressed in the robes of a documentarian when in fact it's heresy. So here's what Peter says. Was Jesus really a vegetarian? Again, this is people for the ethical treatment of animals, people whose founder believed that there is a moral equivalency between a a snail and a human being. Was Jesus really a vegetarian? They make this declarative statement. Many biblical scholars believe that Jesus was a vegetarian. Jesus's message is one of love and compassion, and there is nothing loving or compassionate about factory farms and slaughterhouse, boom, 180 degrees, Mm. where billions of animals live miserable lives and die violent bloody death. Jesus mandates kindness, mercy, compassion, and love for all God's creation. He would be appalled by the suffering that we inflict on animals just to indulge our acquired taste for their flesh. We all have a choice. When we sit down to eat, we can add to the level of violence, misery, and death in the world, or we can respect God's creation with a vegetarian diet. Now, that's what people for the ethical treatment of animals believes. Now, um, And and by the way, when the flood came, which was by God's hand in Genesis— it was not only humans that were destroyed, it was all the animal life on the earth other than those selected specifically for the ark. So God does not have a problem with animal death 
except well, that it was caused by animal death and human death were all right. a result of a fallen creation. Craig, there, there's such a plethora of substantiation for this. You think of Abraham taking Isaac up to Mount Moriah, and he's called to sacrifice his son, the ultimate horrific request. But yet it was the test of absolute obedience. And as his saber is drawn and he's about to stab his precious son, his only son, this is an archetype for Christ, God stays his hand and says, now I know that you're faithful. And God provides, provides the sacrifice right? with the a ram, ram caught, caught in, in a thicket. Yep. Exactly. So, I mean, there is, again, the, the burden of saying that somehow Jesus was a vegetarian, that's a superimposition. Again, this this is a wonderful word. I said Jesus. It means you are superimposing into Scripture something that is not there. I don't know what biblical scholars they talk to. Maybe they all graduated from Harvard or Duke or Oxford. I don't know. But the Bible doesn't say anything about that. And let me just, I'm going to come up to a break. The fact that Jesus was a vegetarian is utterly strange and patently false. Luke 24, 42 to 43, the text says, So they gave him, Jesus, a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. It's about as straightforward as you can get that Jesus is not a vegetarian by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he's a great fisherman, and he brought in the haul of fish, showed it to the disciples. You Well, guess what they did with that? And you know what the, the documentarians think about that when they were called fishers of men? They said they laid down their nets as though it was a moment of repentance that they should have been, they should not have been fishing. <laughs> Tell that to Peter. I'd love to hear his response. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Remember, new month, new truth tool, Body of Proof by Dr. Jeremiah Johnson. The seven best reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and why it matters today. I'm thrilled about this book. Easter is this month, the last day of this month. This is a wonderful way for you to recognize the historicity, the validity of the bodily, historic, accurately, biblically accurate tell the story of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. It's yours for a gift of any amount, 877-JANET-58, 877-JANET-58, or in the market with janetpartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book, Body of Proof, and that's your way of giving to this program and my way of saying thank you. So PETA, not my go-to group for anything theological, particularly when it comes to the eating habits of our Savior, they've made the declaration that many Bible scholars believe that Jesus was a vegetarian. Well, again, I don't know what Bible they're reading, but it certainly isn't the one that was inspired by God. Again, I gave you the quote from Luke 24, 42 to 43, about they're giving Jesus a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and the Bible says he took it and he ate it in their presence. And then, in addition to that, remember, Jesus was a Jew who faithfully fulfilled and followed the old law. He was commanded to eat the Passover lamb every year in Exodus 12, 5 to 8, we read that all the Jews were to take a Passover lamb, kill it on the 14th day of the first month. Again, why the documentarians are off by over a thousand years. They say the greatest cover up in the last 2000 years. This started in the Old Testament. It didn't start in the New Testament. And uh, eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. I mean, specifically roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. 
In the New Testament, we see Jesus arranging this very procedure with his apostles in Luke 22, 7 and 8 that says, and I quote, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he, Jesus, sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So how would Jesus kill an animal? He'd send Peter to do it and say, prepare for the Passover feast. Which is what he did. Exactly. Which is what scripture tells us, which is there for us to read. Very plain, very clear, in context, case closed. The jury needs to render a verdict unless you want to avoid the evidence and walk out of the jury room and say, I don't care what the evidence is. I won't believe it. You know, I'll make up my own story. So Peter makes this comment about Jesus being a vegetarian and he mandates, they write, kindness, mercy, compassion, and love for all God's creation. He gets us. You know what the problem is? We don't get him. Let's get into his yeah, word and, we, and find out and who we, Jesus yeah, is. Yeah, we're not getting into what his word has already told us over and over and over again. Do you find it interesting that in Exodus, the only way the Jews lived when the plague came that was in the form of the angel of death, that the blood of a lamb was to be spread over the door frame, right? Again, a foreshadowing that it is through Christ's atonement, the shedding of his blood, that our sins are forgiven. And I think there's there's also a huge, I I hate to talk about theology because it sounds cold and objective and sort of academic and really not the nitty-gritty of the of the walking with Christ knowing who he is but theology is simply the overview of God's truth if you don't get the big picture you're going to miss the small pictures because the small pictures of scripture form this overarching idea of who God is who we are and who we are apart from him and who we are when we are in him through Christ. As an example, and I think this bears repeating, man, and and you referred to it a couple of minutes ago, and I think that was a great reference about the fact that we're not uh, somewhere on the evolutionary scale, you know, from uh, reptiles to apes to man. It's not a moral graduation and that we're all related. Because the only likeness of God is referred to in Scripture as man. In fact, I I ran across this, and I had forgotten about it. But in Genesis 5, 1 to 3, it talks about the generations of, of Adam and Eve. And it said, and it reminds us there, that Adam was created in God's likeness. And then it says, uh, Seth was created in in Adam's likeness. In other words, God-likeness in in terms of not being morally perfect, not being omnipresent right. and, and so forth, but having the, both a relationship with God by being created, created in his image and a longing for fellowship with him as our father, as our heavenly father, spiritual father, that is unique to us. The likeness is carried from God to Adam to Seth and all the generations. We all have, as Ecclesiastes says, um, we have that um, uh, God desire in our hearts. We have eternity in our hearts that longs for God to fill that eternal space with him. 
We're made that way because we're made in his likeness. Nowhere in scripture does it say animals share that attribute. And not only that, let's just go right to the core question. Obviously, the documentarians, PETA and other like-minded groups are trying to push the idea that out of a call for mercy, that you should not be eating animals. Again, the difference between animal rights and animal welfare, we've already explained. Sure. Could we have better practices when it comes to animal husbandry? And you and I are Absolutely. all in favor of that. I got dirty boots from this morning that can tell you how much we're in favor of that. But let's go to what it says in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. The, whole, the Holy Spirit foretold that some were going to depart from teaching the truth and were going to command people to, quote, abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. You have to say, Craig, the idea that God, Jesus, or the Bible somehow morally obligates people to be a vegetarian is simply not there. Last word's yours. Yeah. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What is not truth is therefore a lie. Choose you now which way you're going to go, but don't believe the lies that you have to put a mantle of legalism on your back about whether you eat meat or not. It, you can make the decision, but you cannot make it on the, on the fact that God supposedly forbids it. So when you're walking around in the marketplace of ideas and you hear some of the marketers hawking their wares that Jesus was a vegetarian, or how would Jesus kill an animal, or that somehow uh, it is mandated uh, that we become vegetarians, or that somehow the greatest cover-up in the world was the money-making at the temple when the animals were sacrificed, I have been told. If you want further instructions, open the Word of God. When all else fails, read the instructions. We do this for another hour. I hope you can stick around. If not, have a great weekend.